Welcome to Two Pizza Marketing, the podcast for small team marketers with hosts Melissa Moody and Ashley McGovern. You might have heard about the Two Pizza Rule, which says the most agile, effective team meetings are ones that are small enough to only need two pizzas for the meeting. Let's get into the marvelous mess that is Two Pizza Marketing. This is your host, Ashley, and I am here with Alexa Kilroy, who is the director of marketing at Stay AI, and that is an AI-powered subscription and retention app specifically for brands on Shopify. So Alexa, welcome. How are you? Hi, how are you? We, have a, we had a monthly week this week with the holiday on a Tuesday, so I feel like I'm getting my second Monday of the week. I know, I'm with you. Will you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about your career journey and what you've accomplished so far? Yeah, I'm a weird one. (laughs) I graduated from college with a degree to teach high school English, did that for a year, realized I was very broke and had no friends my age because most people who teach are like 50, but I was 21. (laughs) And so I was like, rough, rough, spent a lot of money on college, got to find a pivot, (laughs) went into ed tech for a little bit and then kind of randomly fell into e-commerce and I worked on the merchant side. So I worked on the brand side doing, I I crawled my way up. So I started in customer service, you know, picked up things here and there, started running ads, writing copy and creating ads, and then ended up running growth marketing teams for a bunch of different brands. Um, And then I've actually only been at Stay for like just shy of a month right now, but I spent the past year at Triple Whale, which is another Shopify app for those that aren't familiar that does a lot of cool analytics and things for e-commerce brands there. So I was head brand there, which is a weird title, but it was kind of a catch-all marketing role. And now I'm leading up the charge as Stay's first director of marketing. So it's been a crazy six years so yeah, far. I don't know. You're doing the damn thing. I'm envious <laughs> of your experience in D2C because now that we're both so little context for our audience, we met right when you started with Stay because we were working on a project. And then like we hit it off right away, just discussing more about e-com SaaS to get a better understanding of it since I do not have that D2C experience. But I feel like having that experience has allowed you to understand the customer a little bit more. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I don't. I actually was really reticent to go into the world of SaaS. I thought I was going to be bored. I thought it was going to be very different than working in the e-com industry, like on the merchant side. And I was actually totally wrong. It's just a, a different challenge. But the neat thing about marketing e-com SaaS is that the customer, like the ICP that I'm working with is actually who I was a couple of years ago. So it's like so much easier to think back and talk to me two years ago than it is, I think, trying to pick into customer's brain sometimes when you're, you know, pulling in something like socks or supplements and you have to do so much more, you know, customer research and really get to know them better in a different way. So even when I'm like, I was rereading our newsletter for this week before we sent it out, making some edits. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't want to read that part. Or I would <laughs> want to, you know, tell me this instead. And then I just like talk to myself sometimes and rewrite things. And mm-hmm. uh, it's been a huge, it's been a huge win for sure. I did a similar thing when I was in property technology. I took the point of view as a marketer, as a renter, because we would target rent, like the end user would be a renter taking these virtual tours of different units. So when I started to like leverage that point of view, I started to notice that the messages resonated more with our target audience. So very similar to what you're doing. That's interesting. I'm also curious with, with B2C versus B2B, like what's the main difference that you've noticed since you've worked in both? 
I think like when I was working on the, you mean B2C, like on the brand side, right? So like right. on the actual merchant side. Yeah. I think it, it, things just are really different when you work B2C because it really depends on what you're trying to sell. So like you, for example, I worked at a brand where I was selling multivitamins where it's like really hard to communicate to people who don't care about taking multivitamins, why they should take one in the first place. But then you also have like a completely different segment of customers who uses another multivitamin already and you have to convince them that yours is better. And then you have another segment of customers that doesn't know anything about vitamins at all. So you like, you just have way more diversity in terms of how you need to communicate with people like problem aware, solution aware, problem unaware, you know, et cetera. Whereas in B2B, most people are operating in one of two wavelengths. They're either problem aware, but they aren't familiar with your solution or they aren't aware a solution exists at all. Or they're problem and solution aware, but they're on some other solution that is not you. And you have to convince them that yours is better. So it just kind of like, I, I would say like, there are less little teeny tiny nuances that are less super product dependent. And more so you kind of are able to have like more comprehensive marketing campaigns. I think back to some of the merchant side brands that I worked on. And it was like, we were constantly trying 35 different ways of communicating to customers and now on the more B2B side, it's like, all right, I know what's up. I know what they need. I know how to talk to them. Now I just got to find different mediums or like methods of deploying that messaging to them. Sure. So you mentioned that you thought B2B was going to be boring. Why do you say yeah. that? I don't know. I was never like a, I want to work in tech girl, you know, <laughs> like I got really into, because on the brand side, I was doing so much creative work too. Like I was overseeing the the function that ran paid advertising. So there's so much creative and copy work that you're doing that's just different than B2B. And I thought it was just going to be boring. But I think I also like, I do not think I would thrive, for example, in in any sort of real estate medium or like in really high level, like my husband works in cybersecurity or like cyber tech. Like, I don't think that would ever work for me because I think I'm one of those people that has to be very much passionate about like the industry and the product and the solutions, the problems. And so this was probably like the tech move, the SaaS tech move that made sense for me because I was already so dialed into the industry. But also I think I just had this like perception that SaaS is kind of boring and unsexy. And the reality is like it does not need to be, you know? Yeah, there's a there's a huge opportunity to make B2B writing in general less robotic. Yeah. For sure. Um, My perception had been that B2B was like very clinical all the time. And I was just like, Ugh, no, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Let's go back to when you were discussing Triple Whale and your time there as head of brand, which isn't a title you see every day. It made me think of Dave Gearhart when he was chief brand officer. I don't think it was at Drift. I forget where it was, but he described his role a little bit. So I'm curious what what did you do being head of brand that's different than being director of marketing now? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is like org structure when I started. So when I started, I was like the third or fourth hire on the marketing team. And head of brand happened to be a title that we settled on when I was interviewing. I, did, I didn't even have a traditional interview. I like got drinks with my former CMO multiple times. And it was like, it was very much like a build your own role kind of thing. So it was non-traditional from the jump, honestly, but I don't even really know, how, I don't even remember how we landed on that title, but that's just kind of where it's at for the past year. And when I reflect on all of the things that I did, um, I guess 
categorizing it as brand marketing makes more sense than categorizing it as something like growth marketing or life cycle marketing, because there ended up being built out teams for those things that focused on very specific functions. I ended up just being, I joked that I was like a marketing amoeba um, or like an octopus and I had my tentacles in all these different places. And so like, I did a lot of our, our content ideation and strategy and development there. I did what we called like big bet projects. So I know one of the things that you wanted to chat about later is how we literally spun up and filmed a reality TV show at Triple Whale, which was not my original idea. But then my CMO was like, hey, you know what? You get paid. You work here. How about you take this idea that I have baked and make it happen? And I was like, sounds good, man. We're going to figure it out. So it was like a lot of just a lot of like project-based work, I would say, that were just kind of totally out of the box things that we did. And then there was some of the, let's say more traditional like brand work, like thinking really about our competitive landscape and how we message and position ourselves against other people. But then it was like, you know, some days I'd be jamming on case studies, writing case studies all day. And then some days I would film your reality TV show. So like, I always joked that my title was just like, we made something up that sounded cool. And I was just this marketing amoeba that like ran around and did a bunch of cool stuff too. Amazing. Okay, let's go to the reality TV show. Tell me about it. Where did the idea come about? How did you actually execute this idea? I want to hear more. There is not enough cold brew or Red Bull or caffeinated beverages in the world. Let me tell you, girlfriend. Uh, (laughs) First, my my word of advice to anybody listening, (laughs) listening to this podcast is one, if you think you want to do a reality TV show, let me give it to you hard. It's not easy. (laughs) Might not be the move. Second, if your CMO, love him with all my heart, we're so good friends to this day, but if your CMO comes to you with like a crazy half-baked idea, be like, I really need you to flesh that out more for me <laughs> before we really get, get cracking because um, it just, it was very much like if you give a mouse a cookie. Um, so really what ended up happening was that my CMO decided he wanted to create a reality TV show that was intended, like the audience was intended to be the brands that use Triple Whale. Um, and the kind of vision behind the whole thing was um, a lot of us on the brand side pay influencers and creators money. We just give them money like electronically and we're like, go make assets for us, for this brand, for ad creative, for whatever. And you don't really see what goes into it, what goes behind it. And sometimes those prices that you pay those influencers, whatever, can feel really spendy. So we were like, what if we put a bunch of really cool, really talented creators in a house? We load the house up with products from a ton of sweet D2C brands. And then we film like a mini version of the real world where they're living in the house for like a week. But you are also, we're also capturing the behind the scenes of how this content gets made, how they think through ads, how they think through like content generation and actually shoot it, whatever. So we work for the production company local in Austin. Uh, I will admit it was probably like the budget friendly option, which lent itself to a whole slew of unique challenges. Uh, when you use the budget-friendly option, always remember you get what you pay for. It was still spendy. So <laughs> that being said, we rented this really sweet Airbnb house. It was not even Airbnb. I forgot what it was called. There's like a thing that's like Airbnb, but for really rich people. And they only have like one or two properties in each city. And they're like $15 million homes. We rented one of those. It was a sick penthouse. And then we booked a bunch of excursions for them. We booked a yacht for them to go out on a boat. We booked... Like we bought on a bar one night, we did fancy dinners, we did whatever. And so we literally from 7am until almost two, three in the morning every day, 
which if you do the math on that, not a lot of sleep, <laughs> ran around and followed these people around in this house, wherever we took them, shooting as much content as we possibly could of them shooting content and also fun, silly little interactions that happened on the side, like them getting a little drunk at the bar and, you know, hanging out with the bachelorette party that was there. It was madness. There are literally behind the scenes clips of me actually passed out, like on the floor, taking emergency naps because I was sleeping so little and running around being so high energy. And we had also decided at some point after we started that I was going to be like the host of the show. So I was alternating between being on camera and like teeing up scenes and doing things to running around and actually dragging around men with camera packs and mic packs, like directing them. It, it was literally the craziest thing I've ever done. In retrospect, like one of the coolest experiences ever. I'm never going to go into production. So it was probably a one and done thing in my lifetime, but it was also pure madness and definitely one of those big bet content things that you do. And you're like, we did that. It's over now. <laughs> wow. My like Nuts. jaws on the floor. This is crazy. I didn't, I yeah. haven't heard this story. A SAS company that produced a reality TV show. <laughs> and then once it was all done and they were editing it, then we did basically all the brands that participated, they sent us product for free. So then we had to go through and like segment all the footage to give them the footage, not only from the creators that made it for them, but then like the cool B-roll of their products sitting on bougie penthouse counters and things. So there was like a lot of management and relationship work between ourselves and those brands or between me and those brands. And then once, once it was done filming, we had to build a whole website. So I basically... Thank you, like Hulu or whoever it was. I like screenshotted a page of theirs where you can stream episodes from a season of a show and then rebuilt it in Figma and then gave it to a designer, like rebranded, gave it to or a, a web developer. I was like, make us a streaming website. Then we had to deploy all the marketing campaigns for it. It was like, it was insane. Like it was, it was insane. It was crazy. And we did it and it was amazing. It was like a multi-month project amongst other things that were going on. And yeah, we did that thing, but it was hard. Yeah. It was really hard. <laughs> Interesting. I have so many questions. So going into this, this was an idea. Did you have like metrics? Like what was? It was a brand marketing play. So it brand was really marketing. like, we, the only thing that we did really is we gated it behind the email capture so that anybody that wasn't already a client of ours, like would go as a prospect into, you know, our CRM. But other than that, it was really just like we were watching how many times people viewed it and how many email captures we got and pretty like basic web performance metrics or content performance metrics. But it was just like a, a big, big bet brand thing. So did you stream it just on that website that you guys built or did you put it on YouTube? Did you actually put it on TV? Anything like that? I think it's on YouTube too. We originally had just put it on our site so that we could like gate it get more data from it. I don't know if it's on YouTube now or not. And then we like put some paid behind it. And we put, we had partners contribute and invest. Like they, somebody sponsored a yacht. I think Gorgeous sponsored something, whatever. And so like they helped distribute it as well, oh. but did like all the normal, you know, marketing channels to distro it. And yeah, it was a thing we did. This is amazing. <laughs> I would love to have this on my resume. So not only do you have B2C experience, B2B experience, but now you have like what it would be like to be a Hollywood director because of this. <laughs> yeah, but like a kind of like a poor, very tired <laughs> Hollywood director that like 
would do half of her makeup, but then also have to be on screen, but then also have to run around behind the screen. Also, I'm, like, running around with coolers of, like, drinks and restocking the fridge and, like, managing baby celebrities. Like, basically, I was, like, the whole crew. (laughs) I was going to say, where did you find these, like, celebrities, creators? Who are they? They were, yeah, they were, like, creators. So they were people that had been highly recommended. So people could basically, like, refer or apply to be a part of the production and a lot of people sent like their the best content creators that they pay for their brand to participate in it so they, we had like referrals and then we also had a couple applicants who were like more rookie content creators for brands that we also wanted to show some of that what that's like for them like kind of growing up and becoming a creator but yeah it was it was like a combination of things but they're not like famous people like you know it's not like oh my gosh I can't even think of like a, it's not like a I was trying to think of her name, the Justin Bieber's wife. Oh, um, Haley Bieber. Haley Bieber, yeah. Okay. Um, who, yeah. You know, right. it wasn't like somebody that we had to pay a million dollars to be present. It was, you know, <laughs> it was like content creators who make ads for D 2 C brands, but we hired them to work for us for four days or five days or whatever straight. This is amazing. So, did you decide to do a season two? No. Um, if season two were to happen, it probably would have been after I left Triple anyway. But the my CMO who, who baked the idea left and I have also left since. So who's to say if it will ever happen again, but, um, it was, it was a really cool, really fun thing to do at the time. Sure. All right. Well, I, I still have more questions about that, but we can talk offline. <laughs> over drinks, over drinks. Over drinks. So, yeah. I don't know how much more I can really talk about it with a glass of wine in hand at this point. We joke that, what's the like sleepover party thing that you do with your friends where it's like, oh, you whisper like Bloody Mary in the beer or something and she's supposed to like show up behind you. I used to joke with my coworkers that we would whisper like D to C after dark in the mirror three times. And we would get like transported back into the chaos <laughs> of production. <laughs> Amazing. Let's let's transition to your marketing mess, even though it sounds like there were a couple messes with that. <laughs> oh, fun, fun messes. Anything that you want to share either recently or even in the past? I think probably like the the real answer is a, a broader overarching theme in my life, which is a thing that I'm perpetually trying to work on. But because I spent so many years, and I'm sure this is true for many marketers, but I spent so many years as like a very much individual contributor, like in the weeds, writing copy, creating ads, doing whatever I was doing. It was very hard for me to like step back now as I get more and more senior and like trust in other people to take the reins and go crush. And so I think like when I think about my various marketing messes through the years, like that, even that TV show example is a perfect example of like, I wanted it done really well. And so I just threw myself into it so hard that I was taking emergency naps on the floor. (laughs) And so like, it's kind of the same. I think it's the same. And I I get better at it with age and like with each role, I think. But I'm I'm currently like in a situation at Stay where we have two different CRMs. We have a legacy one that we tried to migrate to a new one. They're not communicating well. We've hired like a consultant to help with like RevOps work and data cleanup and it's just like not moving at the pace that I want. And it's not, you know, I always want things done like 10 minutes ago. And so I'm like, I'll just get in there and do it. And then I end up like making something worse, you know, because I like Googled how to do the thing as opposed to like relying on the person and waiting until they were back online to go do the thing for me. And so I think like my marketing bus advice and like the lessons that I've learned from that, which, you know, isn't probably specific to one mess is like, 
sometimes you just got to really trust in the people that either you hired or you acquired in joining a new team to like really know what they're doing. And you don't have to be like the person that does everything all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can like let other people do things. (laughs) Well, here's a question for you because we get a lot of younger marketers listening to the podcast and as a marketing leader yourself, how would you recommend that someone like in your situation, you inherited a team, how could someone build trust with you as a marketing leader a little bit more quickly? I think for me, I, I think it depends on who your manager is or like who you're rolling up to really. But for me, I'm incredibly transparent. Like I will freak people out with how transparent I am. And if you can't work with that, like, I'm so sorry, we're not going to work well together. I'm pretty sure that even before we hopped on this podcast, I was like, I have to run potty. I'll be right back. (laughs) Like you didn't need to know that, but I was just like, that's just how I operate. Like I'm just perpetually transparent. And so for me, when, when my team, and this isn't necessarily true at my current job because I literally just met this team and they're great so far. But like when people that are working with me don't communicate, like I'm nervous about this. I don't know if this is what you were looking for or alternatively, like I have a really good idea for something and I would love to take it and just go with it. If you aren't communicating that to me, like I'm going to assume that you either don't know that something's wrong or you aren't taking the agency and autonomy to like go after and just do it. And so I, I really need people to like, over communicate of anything and then feel like they have the reins to go take things and do them. So I don't feel like I have to walk behind them and pick up and do it for them, you know? And that's not how every manager works, but I think it's really just like, I, I worked at a company a few years ago where when you onboard it, there was this doc that you and your manager worked on and I've kind of adopted this and it's like about your working style. And some of it is really basic stuff. Like, please don't, send me long slacks that are to do, send it to me as an email instead, or call me. And then some of it is like, here's how I need you to communicate with me. Here's how I need you to communicate with me. And then you find a way to meet in the middle or roll with whoever style, you know, is the most flexible can work with it. I think things like that are the best way to like really build a relationship with your, your direct report or whomever you're rolling up to is like, you just got to get it all out there from the jump. And then it's, definitely smoother sailing than like trying to tiptoe around and figure it out later on, you know? Oh, that's such good advice. I did a similar exercise with my direct report. It was like operate blueprint of like how I operate and why I operate this way, just so we can set the expectations and expectations of you. And we, and I've like adapted it to also like fit her needs. But I think that that's just clear communication in general is imperative. Yeah. And there are some people who you just don't even think about, but they, like you said, they function differently. So like someone might be coming from a team, even if it's your manager or your direct report, but they might be coming from a team where deadlines were more of a suggestion than like a, if I don't have it by this day, we will die. Mm -hmm. And so like even talking through things like that, that might seem intuitive or something you don't really need to hash out is can be so valuable, you know? Yes, definitely. For the last part, we've been doing this unsponsored segment about the tools that you cannot live without in order to do your job effectively. And I've been having some fun with it and making it more interactive by you describing it to me and me trying to guess rather than you just telling our listeners. I thought today we could do two. So you want to describe the first one to me? Yeah, these might be tricky. I don't know. But there are things they use all the time. So I'm happy for them to get the to get the recognition. Okay, so this first one is a tool that I use. I can upload any sort of video or call recording or whatever. 
it will transcribe it for me. And then instead of having to go in and edit the video, so like if I'm editing a podcast or whatever, having to edit the video and the audio and everything, whatever, I can actually edit the video using the transcript like a Google Doc. So if I delete a sentence that somebody said, it's going to cut out that part of the video too. So it edits both things simultaneously. Is it Descript? Yes. Ooh. Are you using it for the podcast? I'm using it for the podcast. So, that's so good. I know that. <laughs> so good. Okay, awesome. And then uh, the other one is, it's kind of lame. It's not that exciting. But this is a thing that I use so that I can write out Twitter threads in a place that is not the native app or like one of my publishing app. My publishing apps are really difficult with scheduling threads. So this one I use, I can like write threads, I can put images, I can put whatever in it. I can save it for later and like come back to the draft or I can schedule it or post it directly in the thingy, in the website. It's a website. Oh gosh, that I don't, I don't use anything for Twitter. Well, then we have a fun one to, to play with later. Yeah, I need a. Okay, what is it? It's called Typefully. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Typefully. Highly recommend Typefully. It's free. Um, I, well, I, I think it's still free. When, once Elon took over Twitter, I feel like things change with like integrations and API. So I don't really know. Um, but I still use it for free because I don't have a business. I, I use it for my personal like brand Twitter. Um, but yeah, you can put your whole tweet thread in there. You can save it for later. It actually will also save longer threads that you write. It'll also save them as like almost like a medium article for you, which is pretty sweet. So you can send someone a link to like see all of your threads unrolled into like little tiny articles and I don't pay for it. So I feel like I've seen this before. Oh, cool. I'm going to play around with it later. Well, Fun. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Of course. Um, Thank you for having me. Of course. How can our listeners find you? I am on Twitter for the most part. My Twitter is at Alexa Kilroy, A-L-E-X-A-K-I-L-R-O-Y. And then if you want to check out Stay, which is where I'm currently at, subscription retention app for Shopify, that's stay.ai is our URL. All right. Well, thank you again. Thanks. Thank you. All right. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us today, Two Pizza Marketers. If you liked the episode, it would mean a lot to us if you take the time to leave a review. And if you have any questions or topics to suggest, we're always happy to hear from you. So send us an email at two, that's the number two, pizzamarketers at gmail.com. And until next time, keep having fun and try to stay sane in the marvelous mess that is Two Pizza Marketing.